Welcome to Winning with Connections, the WWC Global Podcast. We are so excited, Donna and I, to be here today with Haley Utlaut, who started in your career with us. Gosh, more than 10 years ago now, we were just talking about the fact that we can measure these things by how old our kids are. Uh, so <laughs> more, than, more than 10 years ago now that we started an in-gear career at Haley's urging. So I am overwhelmingly excited to have Haley here, particularly around military spouse appreciation because she has really been one of the driving forces in military spouse employment and her interest in advocacy and hard work is probably one of the earliest examples of the push for professional military spouse employment. So Haley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's I'm excited to chat with you guys again. It's great to kind of reflect on where we've been and kind of where you guys are going and where where, where I am now. So thanks for having me. Well, so Haley, you've got this great, amazing wide-ranging story, and I am not going to even try to do it justice. I would love for you to tell a shortened version of your incredible story, you know, around the military and all of the different roles that you've played within the military. Sure. Thanks. Happy to. It definitely, I think maybe not so untypical. It seems like a lot of military spouses wear, have worn or wear a lot of different hats. And that's certainly true for me. I originally started in the military myself. I was an engineer in the Army to West Point and served for five years in the military. And there's so many rabbit trails to go down, like where to start. But yeah, just basically got out of the military and transitioned into my MBA as a way of transitioning into the private sector. So trying to figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And some of the transition was difficult. So I thought getting an MBA would help me. And it certainly did. So you're one of my heroes as a former active duty member of the Army Corps of Engineers. Tell us what brought you to the military and then tell us a little bit about your experience in the military that led you to start thinking about military spouse employment and that led you to be in the military in the first place. Yeah. So I actually, you know, in high school, I, well, my parents, we were from, you know, modest means, and they knew they couldn't afford to send us to college. So they actually said, we're going to try to get a sports scholarship. So we played sports like it was our job. And all three of my siblings ended up getting athletic scholarships. So West Point actually began recruiting me my sophomore year of high school for basketball. And that that started my interest in the military academies. Air Force actually recruited me as well. And I thought, hey, you know, I'm interested. It seemed like the team of teams of this, you know, I enjoy sports and playing and athletics and what better way to kind of continue doing that in an active role with people that I enjoy. So I thought the military would be a great place for and a good fit for me to serve with others and then to be a part of something larger than myself. That was always something that drew me to the military. So I ended up going to West Point from 2000, 2004. And upon graduating from there, I became an engineer in the army. Yeah. So it was, it has been a great experience. And I guess how that ties to, you know, military spouse employment is even during my time in the military, I began seeing and meeting spouses who were just really incredible and empowering. And I just was drawn to them and to the community and felt them even then as 
an active duty service member. Right. So, so talk to me about your, your active duty service a little bit. I've heard some of these stories and they, they're intriguing that in the early to mid 2000s, you faced some difficulties, particularly as an engineer. I know you had taken the combat engineer exam from what I remember. Talk to me about kind of what it was like to be a young army officer in in the military in a combat arms kind of role. Yeah, I think West Point does a great job of preparing you. But then <laughs> then once you actually get there, you realize, okay, you know, as a as a young 21, 22 year old, you're leading people who have a lot more experience. And then we went to combat multiple times, um, multiple deployments right off the bat. So I was I think deployed, ended up being deployed for three years out of the five that I serve, which is not uncommon for people of my year group. Just a lot of a lot of time overseas, gone and away from family. My story, I think, is you guys know my story well, but I'll tell it. I was married to my one of my West Point classmates. His name was John Ryan Dennison. I deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, we were both stationed out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I deployed to Afghanistan. And he deployed actually to Iraq. So we were both deployed at the same time. You know, I think of our time that we were married, we saw we were together probably eight months and two and a half years. Wow. Just to kind of give you an idea of what the off tempo of the military was at that time between different schoolings, NTCs, you know, just there's all kinds of different things. Hurricane Katrina, there was lots of time apart. I think, and I think that time, you know, our time apart made our time together that much sweeter. But ultimately, he was killed in Iraq in November 2006. Well, I was in Afghanistan. So I received the news, which is a little bit unique, that my spouse was killed while I was downrange and then had to come back. Yeah, sorry. That's, that's hard. It's hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, but so I, I came back and did the funeral services and, you know, grieved. <laughs> But ultimately, I ended up going back and finishing my deployment. So I came back, I think it was for a month and a half. And then I went back to Afghanistan for another three months, which was obviously very hard, (laughs) hard to do. Can't imagine. Haley, every time I hear this story, every time, and I've heard it, I don't even know how many times, I get chills and I am amazed by your fortitude. I I think it, it is a testament to your love for Ryan and your love for country that you were able to do that. I, I just, every time I hear this story, I, I'm, I'm amazed. So you, you went back and you deployed that deployment, finished out that deployment. Um, that was, you, you ended up on another deployment fairly soon thereafter, correct? Yes. So it, it's interesting. I think the army helped me some in my grieving process. I mean, it, no one's ever done grieving, you know, and everyone grieves differently. But I think having a sense of purpose mm-hmm. um, really helped me knowing that I still needed to lead uh, and have a role. Because when you talk about identity, you know, my identity as a spouse, you know, changed and understanding who I was as, you know, as a very young person, I was 24 at the time. I think the military actually helped me, oddly as that was, to have purpose and to keep moving forward and taking taking that next step of someone needing me to take that next step it kind of helped me along in a strange way. So you're right, I did I finished that deployment and then about six months later I so I deployed less than a year after Ryan had died in Iraq. I deployed to Iraq. So that was my second deployment. 
And at that time, I served on General Petraeus' staff. I was his command group operations officer, which was an amazing experience. And I, I don't think that I would have gone, hopefully have gone back for another experience, but I was selected for that. And it, it was amazing to see kind of at the four-star level what was happening in an Iraq and the strategy going behind some of the decisions and then actually ultimately to visit kind of where Ryan had been killed and see the people there. It, it helped me grieve in, in a new way and kind of struggle through and wrestle with those emotions about why are we here? What are we doing? And really believe in the cause of what we were doing over there. So you were in a really unique position when you were assisting General Petraeus. What were you able to bring to that dialogue about the experience of, of being on the ground and in combat as a gold star widow of having lost your spouse? How did that work its way into your dialogue with General Petraeus? And in any way, did it feed into his considerations as, as he was making policy decisions? Well, it was interesting because at that time he was, we were implementing kind of a new strategy about the sons of Iraq and kind of getting them out in military policing. And also the idea, like he would, he would typically, General Petraeus would walk around without his full kit on because he wanted them to see us as partners, not necessarily invaders, which was different ideas. So like, for instance, when my husband was killed, he was killed by they were pursuing people with weapons, but the rules of engagement were such that even though they were suspicious people with weapons fleeing from a weapons cache, we wouldn't necessarily engage them. And then they just turn around and sorry, it's graphic, but they shot my husband. Okay. And so wrestling with like, okay, well, how do we engage these people who we think are suspicious? Mm-hmm. Um, and then shaping and then seeing how General Petrace was making that on a larger scale versus my specific incident was really impactful. The other thing is there was a lot of casualties going on during that time. His his aide ended up being a White House fellow, so he went back early. So I filled in as the aide and we went to 20, at least 20 different memorial services. So that was challenging for me as well is to sit through, you know, and support you know, and seeing all of the soldiers who were who were losing their lives overseas. Oh, Haley. So let me go to a, a slightly more positive then part of <laughs> after this. I know this is so hard, and it's again the the fortitude that you've shown is is amazing to me. But you ended up meeting another soldier in on that deployment, or was it another deployment? Yeah, it was actually on that, that deployment. deployment. So when I was filling in as the aide. I met my now husband. He was, he knew my first husband. He knew Ryan and they were on the parachute team at West Point together. So there was some overlap there. And, you know, his first words were condolences, you know, and that he even would know who I was or what, what I was going through um, mm-hmm. kind of spoke volume, but he, in an interesting, so Sodder City was getting kicked off. So we had lunch. I, you know, as the dutiful note taker at the meeting, you know, we, we learned what they were learning and where, where they were going next and followed up with him. But then he was sent into Sodder City and they were told to clear Sodder City and he was getting shot at every day. And so we were talking on Sipper of like, hey, are you OK? Like it was an intense wow. meeting while we were getting um, mortared in the green zone. So, 
yeah, it was an intense way to meet, but you learn, I think, a lot about people <laughs> during situations like that. So, sure. uh, he's, an I think amazing, I, he's an amazing I, guy. <laughs> that's unreal. So uh, I think I remember you telling me this incredible story where you were in a helicopter with General Petraeus looking over the, the battle scene that I think Dave was participating in, which, again, I mean, what a what an incredible value to have the intersection of understanding what is going on on sort of all levels of the chessboard. Can you talk about that? Yes. So yeah. that's kind of when Dave and I began kind of our friendship about when we were trying to, I guess that's when our friendship kind of happened is, is during that time in, in Sauter city and being able to see kind of what's going on, but also, you know, with my heart of like, Hey, you know, obviously we care about every, everyone on the battlefield down there, but like, and, and it wasn't at that point, a romantic interest, but like, am I crazy? <laughs> you know, later on <laughs> where, when it's maybe beginning to look like something else, remembering that scene of, you know, this is, this is what these guys do. This is what we do in the military, you know, and kind of, how do I process the grief of my first husband, Ryan of like, that could have easily been him down there. And yeah. then do you open your heart up again in this kind of risky situation, <laughs> but also being so inspired by the people who are on the front lines. Um, yeah. So, so there's lots of emotions and kind of thoughts in and around that. Yeah, I can only imagine. So let me take us to the starting and founding of Ingear Career. So you had gotten out of the military at this point. You were married to Dave and you got in touch with us. Talk about why what you're thinking about it was and why you reached out to me and Donna about it and, and what went from there. Yeah, so I transitioned out of the military into grad school at UNC Chapel Hill. And as I was, you know, taking some of these more challenging courses of, in statistics and some of these things, I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I need to know what my job is going to be and kind of where where is this taking me? I began looking, we were in a fortunate situation where we knew where we were going to be stationed next. Dave is going to teach leadership at, in the behavioral sciences and leadership department at West Point. So we actually knew, you know, two years, more than two years in advance where we were going next, which is amazing in the military. Right. Uh, so, I, so I actually knew. So I began searching, okay, well, what would be a good fit for me after this? And it was a lot harder to find resources and opportunities than I anticipated. And mm -hmm. through my own personal search, I was like, surely I'm not the only one who is looking for employment in this area. Surely I'm not the only one. Like, we shouldn't we be capturing this information? In West Point is uniquely located about an hour outside of New York City. So there's lots of employment down there. But I was like, are people really commuting an hour to the city to have, you know, a really long work week? What? are the options there and and really just kind of frustrated with the resources that were, were available and recognizing that hey we something needs to be done about this who is working in this space and that is when I found you guys actually I was like surely military spouses are problem solving here and then so I was looking actually just googling trying to find military spouses who maybe worked in the space or how did they solve this problem and I came across your company and you two and I was like you know I'd really love to talk to you about how uniquely you guys are positioning your business and to solve this military spouse employment problem problem being that there's a ton of qualified military spouses out there who are underemployed or you know unemployed 
and what to do about that. And so that's kind of when I reached out to you of just like, hey, how do we solve this problem? And how are you thinking about it? That was a watershed moment for military spouses. I, I think Lauren instantly saw what you were suggesting and we both got very excited about it. And in my mind, I think this is what started the entire national dialogue about military spouses sort of in this one phone meeting. Lauren, what, do you remember about that? You know, the funny thing is we had been talking a little bit about Donna, you and I, right before Haley reached out. I mean, I literally was like kismet because I think a week or two or three before we got this email from Haley, it was, gosh, I really wish we had more bandwidth to be able to hire everyone because there are so many great military spouses. And at the time we were doing almost all overseas stuff for military spouses. We had a couple of things in DC, but really not much. And and we had been talking about, gosh, we wish we could move people from one place to another. Wouldn't that be amazing if we could, but we can't. And so this idea of a nonprofit started percolating without calling it anything, without actually getting our brain around it just a couple of weeks before Haley reached out. And I, I distinctly remember that email and the conversations that led from it where it was, okay, well, what are you thinking? And you had more ideas than we did at that point, certainly, and, and certainly a whole lot more energy than we did to, to be able to take it and run with it. And so I, I think we gave you an internship through the company to be able to see if we this was a viable option. So that one summer, that first summer, you were technically an intern for WWC and you you went in and you you kind of fleshed out this idea. Can you talk about the idea as it was then and then where it has come to now and, and how it got there is also a really cool story about your your old basketball coach comes into the story, which is just a great full circle piece. But can you talk a little bit about kind of what your original idea was, what it morphed into, how we gave it away and let it blossom into its own much bigger thing than, than what we were able to do with it? Sure. Yeah. So, it, you know, I was uniquely positioned in grad school and I had a lot of resources at my fingertips and time. I was like, okay, well, I can create a business paper and develop strategy and, and as part of my classes. Uh, so I was able to do quite a bit of research on military spouse employment. And we were able to create the case of that this is a win-win-win situation. You know, it's a win for the military. It's a win for organizations who are hiring military spouses because we are unique and that we have so many hats and different experiences and what we can bring to the table. And, you know, when for our organization to be able to help military spouses and military employers, companies in and around them to to hire military spouses. So understanding and researching the value add that would be what we called in your career was, was a lot of fun to kind of come up with the strategy behind where this organization would ultimately go. And some of the things in the research that we found was that 80 percent of getting a job in the beginning is who you know. And military spouses, as we travel and move, we don't know people in the right sectors to get hired relatively quickly. So it often takes military spouses longer to get a job. And then once they get a job, you know, seemingly then they're going to move again. So, you know, thankfully in the times of COVID, some of that has changed and things are going more virtual. But the problem then was that I guess the mindset of employers in the area was that 
you know, these spouses are just going to leave or, you know, and changing some of the narrative and really being an advocate for professional level military spouses. So the other thing is, I think that there were some employment resources, but a lot of them were entry level. And I think our specific initial target market was to help the professional level spouse through networking engagements, collecting resources, and having local chapters at each installation was kind of the vision of what we thought might be helpful. It's like, okay, here's a warm lead to help you get plugged in relatively quickly so we can save you time on the resources. We have somebody who's plugged in at this local, you know, here are the different contractors at this base. Here's, we know personally who the hiring people are, and we can give you a warm introduction once you get here. The other thing is in a lot of these remote locations, we will, our idea was to provide kind of leadership opportunities and partnering with the local chamber of commerce and understanding who the who the people who were hiring. So so kind of initially it was chapter based with resources to enable people to come in and be employed at a professional level. And then in the meanwhile, also provide leadership. Mm-hmm. Based piece of it was was the revolutionary piece. I mean, first of all, anyone talking about professional level spouses which is unheard of. I'm Donna and I both felt this. Most of the people that we worked that worked for us felt this at some point that wait, you're professional and you're a spouse? Like what? That doesn't make sense. So that in and of itself was revolutionary, but the chapter-based model of it, the the networking piece of it, when they had done anything around military spouse employment, be it at the entry or the professional level, as little as they had been doing was job boards, was maybe resume help or, you know, how to... How know, to dress for an interview. Right. Um, which, you know... A whole lot of how to dress for an interview. <laughs> yeah. Or how to, how to you know, spin your volunteer work, which is really important. But that was the only thing that anyone was ever talking about. It wasn't this concept of networking. It wasn't the concept of pulling the employers from a local area with the spouses and making sure that hadn't happened yet. I mean, we were before any of those big networking kind of pushes and what have you. So your idea of the the chapter basis of this was, I think, one of the most revolutionary things and really changed the conversation around military spouses and how to support military spouse employment. Um, And then the other thing that changed that conversation really was military spouses aren't all looking for, you know, entry-level childcare jobs. God, there was, Haley, do you remember there was an article years back in maybe military.com or maybe, I don't remember which, like the top 10 jobs for military spouse? Yes, I remember. And it was like that, those mm-hmm. dog walker <laughs> yeah dog walker was one of them nurse teacher certainly which had their own challenges because of licensing but it was all it was dog the dog walker was like number one or number two and i was so mad and i remember us having that conversation about are you kidding me and there was no conception of being a lawyer and a military spouse, being a professor and a military spouse, being a, you know, an engineer and a military spouse that, that just, it was 
inconceivable to them. And and I think that has changed very dramatically over the last 10 years. And I, I certainly credit you for, for that. Oh, well, there's a lot more people too, but thank you. I mean, I think it's, I, I'm so thankful that the conversation is changing and continues to evolve and develop about what military spouses are capable of because everyone, you know, they're, I'm, I'm thankful for the dog walkers and the people that make the communities go, but everyone is gifted and has different experiences and desires. And, you know, I think my initial and my hope in, and still is, is that people would be able to use their their talents and their abilities to better our communities. And I think we were just missing a large population. Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right, because what was happening at this time, and I think there was so much that was revolutionary here. I think it was the realization that professional level jobs are, are often won by networking and knowing the right people and being in a community within a professional community and already having established a reputation. You and Lauren were pivotal in really identifying that. The, the chapter concept was absolutely pivotal. The At the same time, what was happening within the company was we were employing these military spouses who were amazing. And I think the other revolutionary thing that came out of this, and, and again, this was really the intersection of all the right ideas at the right time with the right people, is, wait a minute, hiring military spouses is good business sense, not charity. And mm -hmm. Until then, I think so many of the organizations that had been dedicated to military families and military family employment saw the military spouse as, you know, I, I remember, for example, hiring our heroes had a woman in a white T-shirt with her hand over her heart standing next to her white picket fence. There was very much this idea that the military spouse was a very, very supplemental career and maybe to make spending money. And, and you know, they really, you need to make a lot of accommodations for them. And it's your patriotic duty to give them work because it's, it's just really nice, but you have to put up with a lot, you know, a lot of inconvenience. And, you know, what Lord and I were seeing on the corporate side was exactly the opposite. We were seeing that the military spouses that worked for us Number one, had this unbelievable work ethic and ability to cut through red tape and patience and grit and tenacity. We were, you know, my dream was that we could have branches all over wherever the Navy is so that we could move people around and, and promote them because I hated losing them every time they PCS'd. And in fact, that was a, a dream that was later realized and, and was kind of amazing. But again, the other thing I think that was revolutionary in our thinking was that we knew the value proposition to companies of employing military spouses in a way that all of these other organizations had not yet recognized. Right. And I think that that is incredibly important value that you guys brought to the table. You know, it's like we can see this and you guys oh, yeah, definitely changed the narrative of what military spouses are capable of and the role that we play in the in our communities. I yep, couldn't agree more. And I think, Donna, just to echo what you said, the ability that we finally have gotten to where we can move people around as they PCS. We were tiny at the time that, that Haley came. I think we were like 20, 25 people at the time that, that Haley came on and we had had all these great military spouses cycling through, but we didn't have the ability to, to move them around. And we were frustrated with that, hence in gear career, because we wanted to make sure that we were serving more than just the people we could hire. But now at our size, we've actually been able to move people around. I think the record is seven times, seven PCSs, but I think we might have wow. done that more. And, and can I just say for a second, like that is amazing. 
It's like you were, you guys were doing it in a microcosm. I mean, in your company, you know, hiring 20 to 25, seeing the value and you're like, we want to be a part of the bigger conversation. So I don't want that to be lost for sure. Because when you step up and you say, I want to be a part of the solution, right? We want to serve and do more. And I cannot thank you guys enough for for saying that and for stepping up to the table for donating. I mean, a lot of the resources, those initial first years were from you guys and you guys really got it off the ground and it wouldn't have been possible certainly without you. Um, so thank you. Thank you. So then we grew it to the point where you actually stepped back onto a board role and Amanda Crow came in and took it to an entirely different level. And then you and Amanda came to us because we were really at that point at a kind of crossroads. We had been funding pretty much everything. I mean, I think we had gotten a couple thousand dollars from USAA at some point. And thank you very much, Mike Kelly, for doing that. But we had really, we had been funding it and we didn't have the resources to continue to fund at that next level and next level after that. And none of us were terribly good at fundraising because we were all really focused on delivery of services and none of us wanted to do the fundraising. So you and Amanda came to us with an idea. Could you talk a little bit about that? I, I think you were terrified. Yeah. So it was, it was ama- yeah, no, we were, but it was, it was amazing because, you know, we'd already realized some growth in the different chapters and I stepped back because I wasn't able to travel as much. Amanda stepped up and then she took it to a whole nother level, but then, you know, we needed more resources. And like you said, the funding part of it. And, you know, I, th- I think it's amazing because another military spouse that we had connections with. So this is how the design is, is is how it was supposed to work. It was right. actually working through networking. We were able to identify, again, my old basketball coach, Liz O'Brien Gorkowski, began working at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and they're hiring our heroes program. And, you know, we were catching up and I said, oh, what what are you doing now? Uh, and she told me and I was like, well, I've kind of, what, what if, what if, you know, we took this partnership to another level and what would that look like? You know, and she was open and receptive, didn't promise anything, but we thought, hey, you know, this this is what makes sense. You know, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce was working in this space and we think we, you know, if if we could expand our model and give it to them, I think it would it, it would be better for kind of everyone involved. <laughs> so yeah. it, it was amazing to kind of have that conversation a little bit with Liz of like, what would she think about it? And then approach you guys of like, okay giving away our baby. (laughs) And what, and what would that look like? Uh, because really, you know, it, it serves and has continued to serve a much larger population and so excited about the the growth that Amanda and then, and then, you know, the hiring our heroes team, you know, then took it to the next level. So it's continued to grow and so proud and excited about, you know, what's been happening in the military, professional military spouse employment arena. It's amazing when you look back from where we were to where we are now in 10 years, it, the, the conversation just really has changed dramatically. And now it's part of the the conversation, you know, not just veteran employment, but military spouse employment and military spouse employment at the professional levels. It, there's no longer this misconception of who a military spouse is and what they look like. And so I, I, I think it is remarkable how much that conversation has changed and and it's been fun to watch that move forward. So I want to take us a little bit and then to COVID because COVID has changed things fairly dramatically for everyone. 
literally everyone in every facet of our lives. But I think COVID brings some opportunity for the military spouse employment picture. It has also brought some fairly significant challenges. The latest Blue Star Families report reports that there's always been high unemployment among military spouses, mm-hmm. right? It usually hovers somewhere in the 25, 26% range, unemployment or under or underemployment. Mm-hmm. It jumped to 42% in this latest iteration of Blue Star Families survey. That's a huge challenge for military families, obviously, because I think, uh, as Donna said, it's not, it's no longer a kind of secondary income, small little like spending money type income. But most, a lot of military families really do need that second income. And sometimes that secondary income or that spouse income is primary. I I could point to dozens upon dozens of families where the spouse actually makes a significant amount more than the military member. So that's a huge problem. But I think COVID might have, and you you made reference to this a a little ways back, COVID might have opened up some opportunities as well as we rethink the way work is structured. What do you think about that? I I do think that the military spouse, I say military spouse, but I think it could potentially even be women, were more negatively affected by COVID than on an employment level. Mainly, you know, when we think about why it's children are home from school and mm-hmm. who is who is staying and now teaching them and what does that look like and i think that's definitely a conversation that we need to bring to the table of like well what does that mean for you know the ongoing narrative for military spouse employment and our children's education cuz i think you know there you know it's also something that we care very deeply about is is our kids education and what does that look like so when those things change the family dynamic changes as well. It's like, okay, well, what could, you know, how do we think outside the box about this and what, how do we go about solving these problems? Right. But I I agree that I think you're right that it, because more virtual work is an option. I know, I know that's true for a lot of my spouses, but then our, our friends, they are working and you know, supervising children <laughs> while they're working, you know, and, and wearing multiple hats at the exact same moment, which is challenging. That's that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> but but there is, you know, it's funny because, you know, we did remote work from the outset of the of the company. And I know a lot of military spouses are eager to continue roles no matter where they are. And we've we've had success keeping people on as they PCS, uh, as they move from Europe to South America, to Africa, to the States, and actually leveraging that effectively, as opposed to making it a barrier. I mean, there there were times when we used someone in Hawaii who had been in in Italy for us, uh, who was now living in Hawaii, and knew the customer in, in Italy to do stuff overnight during the conference so that we would show up in the morning to the conference and the slides were already updated from the conversation that we had had the day before. And everyone thought, you know, our, our client was genius because they thought he was staying up all night doing this. And, and he was just leveraging the opportunities of military spouse labor that are, that are geographically dispersed. But so many firms that I talked to up until COVID were like, no way, you know what? I, we're not, we don't like, 
remote work. I want to see someone. I don't know if they're doing well. If they're not sitting in front of me, I can't have the water cooler conversations. And I think COVID by necessity changed a lot of that. And I think a lot of people, a lot of firms have started embracing that remote work. That really helps military spouses to be able to maintain that career either with an employer that they started with in person or start with someone remotely. So I think there's some really good opportunities there as well. But I don't disagree. There's also the the challenge that COVID brings around kind of the dual shifts and all of that kind of stuff that that probably does impact women or that clearly does impact women more than it does men. But I think there's a positive to it as well. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where that goes within this community as well. Yes, I I agree. I think, you know, and I, I do like to focus on the positives as well of like, okay, you know, in our family, my spouse currently goes in, like he has one virtual day to try to limit their interactions. Mm-hmm. And even just having that one day, it's like, well, maybe we can do like a medical appointment or, you know, like just gives our family like, man, just one day, if you worked from home one day a week, like that would change that would change our family dynamics and make things a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. So, so you raise a, a really interesting point again about the interaction between the active duty spouse and then the not active duty spouse that is also engaged not only in work, but oftentimes in childcare and, and all of the other sort of logistical, you know, emotional labor that it takes to keep a family going forward. And, you know, a couple of decades ago, I know in the Navy, they determined that their retention rates would increase if they became family friendly so that, you know, when their sailors married, the wives and at the time they would be wives, wouldn't be asking the sailors to to leave. And family friendly policies were set up in order to prevent attrition of active duty troops. Now that, you know, the world has shifted a little bit and and, and I think Thanks to you and and thanks to Lauren, um, I think we've been able to make some change in that direction. What other pieces of advice would you give military leadership and DOD leadership in order to make it easier for active duty troops to stay in? So I think it's interesting. So the Army, which is the service that we're attached to, they've implemented a new policy where it's they're really trying to take care of the soldier and the family as opposed to necessarily innovation and the I guess, strategic focus is kind of shift of really valuing the people as not that they didn't value them before, but that right now is their strategic initiative that that they're speaking to. And I think they're primed to make some of these kinds of changes of really valuing. I think, you know, we saw that COVID was really hard in isolating people and and being more intentional about showing care for families and creating those type of family policies like you mentioned i think i think the world is and the military specifically is primed for making those kinds of changes right now so i guess you know what I, my my personal recommendation would be you know that the timing is is right to do them now and what could those look like what you know and maybe it is like one day work one day work from home like to give you know families bandwidth to make medical appointments to, ha- to help out? Or what does it look like to think flexibly about military service and kind of, yeah, I think, I think now's the time to kind of rethink about what, what do we actually need to do in person? 
you know, I mean, obviously going to the field and doing some different training exercise needs to be in person, but there are some things that don't necessarily have to be. So, yeah. And, and like you said, to see sort of the whole troop, including the sort of their integration and, and their part and their family and sort of the way families work today, which is not the way families worked when, when these policies were started. But, you, you know, you made me think of something else, and that is you're also a mother and you are a mother to children. You know, traditionally, a lot of people that join the service come from service families. And so from the children's perspective, do you have some thoughts about what the DOD can do to make the service lifestyle attractive to those kids when they grow up and become potential recruits? I think it's interesting from a leadership perspective, you always look at the next level up and you say, is that what I want to do? Is that what I want my life to be like when I get to that rank or to that season? And I think it's important that it's attractive. Like my kids, honestly, we are thriving. I would say that they love the military life. And I would hope that that would be true for others. And how, how can we make that true for military families to then thrive? So I think there's an education component. I think there's childcare component is something that really needs to be addressed because it's not available. Military housing, adequate military housing on base is another thing that is an area of improvement. <laughs> so improving the, you know, the overall quality of life on multiple facets. I think would really, you know, entice my children to want to come in and 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 continue this as a as a way of life for for their families as they grow up. Haley, that was a very diplomatic way of speaking about military housing. I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can you guys just go ahead and take over that contract? I know it would be but you could just fix that next. That and the PCS, all of the, the moving companies and the all the stuff that gets lost and stolen and yeah. Areas of opportunity, yeah. right? There's, there's lots there of opportunity. I know, I know some military spouses that you can employ that are eager to fix the problem. Darn straight. Put military spouses in, in charge of most of the logistics of the military, and I think it would go a whole lot better, honestly. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I think we could fix if we, had, if we only had the, uh, the ability to do so. So, Haley, this has been, I will tell you, I don't think I've ever teared up in a podcast but I did. Um, but it, it, this is a positive kind of message within the podcast here, because I think there is major change that is has happened because of the efforts of a lot of military spouses. Donna keeps pointing to to you and, and I about that. I think there's been so many that I don't want to try to even name any of them because I'll miss some. But there have been so many spouses who have have made major change in this arena, major change in a lot of arenas around betterment of our community. You know, there are in politics, in policy, in business. And so if there was one message around kind of military spouses and military spouse employment that you wanted to leave us with, sorry to put you on the spot, but do you have a thought about kind of the the overarching last last message around military spouses and their impact on on the community. Yes, I guess is that you can make the change, you know, is to empower people with the idea if you see something that 
that you don't think is right. Maybe it's housing. Maybe it's employment. Think creatively and outside the box, but don't think, oh, I'm only going to be here a little bit. Like dive all in, get into it, make the change. And, you know, that's honestly why the, the chapter model ended up working so well is because you can count on military spouses to come alongside you Mm -hmm. uh, and to help you in that effort. Military spouse, I think it's one, military spouses are amazing and they inspire me every single day, but I think that you can do it would be, would be my encouragement to, to those people listening out there is that you can do it and people will come alongside you and rally and you can make the change. So yeah. I guess that would be proven that (laughs) in spades. This came out of, you know, a class and and a desire to fix something and and you had the bandwidth and the and the energy and the wherewithal to do it and look what's come of it. And that's from one person talking to two people, then talking to a whole lot more people. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Haley, this has been amazing. Every time I talk to you, I have so much fun going down memory lane and figuring out where we've come and where we've been, where we've been and where we're getting to. But I want to take a minute to just thank you for being the, the energy behind this, for being the muscle behind this, because I don't think without you, we would have ever gotten this off the ground. And I really appreciate your efforts because they, they truly did change the the conversation and the the trajectory for military spouses. So thank you. This is a great way to celebrate Military Spouse Appreciation Day is to think about kind of one amazing military spouse and what you've done in that community. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Haley. Well, I, would, I, I, know, I know you're thanking me, but I'm also going to thank you because I think anywhere that there's success, there's, and I am thankful for you guys for mentoring me and saying, yes, let's do it. Where, where there's a yes and encouragement and mentorship along the way, I think there's ability for change. So I can't thank you both of you enough for, you know, enabling the dream to then come into fruition. So thank you. 